it's good to be back here after being away for a couple of weeks. Um, while it's always fun like to visit other churches and other places um, and meet new people, it's kind of a weird feeling like coming back. I'm, I'm not used to like being exciting, excited about coming back. I don't know if that sounds bad. But I do like coming back here. It feels like home, so I was glad to be able to be back here this morning. Uh, we missed everybody while we were gone. Um, this morning, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about an idea that's presented in the gospel as really being central to being a follower of Jesus. We don't really, at least I don't do a good job of thinking about this this way. I think of it more of an outlier, but that is persecution. Um, and that's based on my own experiences. I think of persecution as being an outlier to Christianity as an abnormality because I haven't really experienced it personally all that much. And when I have, it's been pretty mild, right? Maybe some name calling, maybe some dirty looks, but you know, nothing anything that holds any permanent consequence to it, right? But really the gospel talks about persecution as being something that is tied to being a Christian. And it's because it was tied to Christ, right? When you look in John chapter 15, look at verse 18 with me. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant's not greater than his master, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. You know, Jesus says persecution happens because you're going to be following me. And look at my life. right? And this is before he's crucified, before he's flogged. Right? Persecution is actually what ends Jesus' time on earth. Um, he's persecuted so heavily that he dies. Um, and so Jesus says, you know, remember that teaching that a slave's not greater than his master? It applies to this concept of persecution as well. If the master is receiving harsh treatment, how much more so will the, the followers of that master, the slaves or the workers of that master... Persecution is something that none of us want to face. I, I wouldn't ask for that for you from God. I wouldn't say, God, Chuck just really Chuck really needs some persecution in his life right now, right? And that's not how we think about persecution. There are blessings tied to that, and we're going to come back to that in a minute, a little bit later in the lesson. But it's something that God says will come, does happen, because Jesus received this. I, I uh, have a quote here. It's not from the Bible. It's from a man that lived in the 1800s. But I really like this quote. His name was George Mueller. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. He's a German. Um, but he says this, To learn strong faith is to endure strong trials. I have learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testings. I really like that quote because obviously it reflects biblical teaching. But also, uh, when I first heard that quote, I was like, who is this guy? So I like Googled him like any 21st century American would do, right? And I read kind of like his biography, not really his biography, but kind of like a summary of his life. 
And then go back and read this quote again. You see that he really lived this out. He went through a lot of hard stuff. He's known for having started some orphanages in England, um, even though he's German-born. In his 70s, he took up missionary work. Who does that in their 70s? And ended up traveling some 200,000 miles before planes were ever created, doing missionary work. So he's an interesting guy. Um, He's known to have spent so much time in prayer in his life um, that his knees kind of had like calluses and stuff. I know that's said of several people in history, but he was just that kind of man. And, um, so when I, when I had heard that quote, I was like, man, that's, that's perfectly what I want to convey in this lesson to learn strong faith. If you want to have strong faith, you're going to go through strong trials and to learn what strong faith really is, is to have endured those trials. As he says, I have learned my faith by standing firm, not flaking away or falling away amid strong trials, amid severe testings. And the Lord said that those come. Christians will be persecuted. That's kind of the first point that I want to get across. It does happen. We don't experience it maybe every day in our lives like maybe people before us have or maybe people after us will. Or maybe later in life we'll experience that. But it is something that we have to deal with. The second point is persecutions can remind us of certain things. Look in uh, Matthew chapter 5. Jesus at the very beginning of his ministry even talks about persecution. Before he had a big following, before he might have been a household name in that region, before he had drawn too much ire from the Jews or the politicians of his day, he says this in Matthew 5 verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Persecutions remind us of certain things. Jesus here says that it should remind us that there is a kingdom of heaven, right? Verse 10 says, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, you're blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And there's a lot that comes with that, right? Like we might say it this way, heaven's my home, you know? Things get bad here, I have somewhere else to look forward to, right? Look at verse 11, or verse 12, sorry. You have a reward in heaven. Right? It's not just some place that uh, is also going <laughs> to have persecution going on and you're just kind of trading one for the other. It's viewed as a reward. It's a good thing. God talks a lot about heaven. There are passages that expound on this concept. God's there. And where God is, there isn't sin. And there isn't those oppressing righteousness. And so, you know, persecution might remind me, you know what? Not only is heaven mine, but heaven is a reward. For enduring this. Because you continue in verse 12, it even reminds us of people that have gone through it before us, right? When I experience persecution, it reminds me of God's people before and after me, maybe. I think about the prophets who had gone through some similar things. And so, not only should Christians expect persecution, expect strong trials, expect hatred and trouble from those who want to make life difficult for those that are seeking godly things, but we should really... When we experience persecution, it should remind us of some core things. Heaven's mine. Heaven's my reward. And you know what? 
This isn't anything new. God's people have always dealt with this. The third thing is uh, that Jesus teaches about persecution is that those who endure persecution are saved. We could kind of draw that out of John 15, right? We could kind of draw that out of Matthew 5, right? Even uh, George Mueller in his quotation seems to imply you have to make it through the suffering or the trials to have strong faith, right? But look in Matthew chapter 10. What better source to understand this teaching than Jesus, right? It wouldn't be a true teaching if Jesus didn't affirm this, no matter what George Mueller says or whatever Josh Lewis says. But Jesus says that those who endure persecution are saved. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. uh, Verse 21 reads, Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you'll be hated. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You know, this is kind of the ugly end of persecution. I think it's a little easier to swallow when we think about like random acts of persecution, right? Like I mentioned some Bible stuff to my, like a stranger on the sidewalk or maybe like a distant coworker and they kind of lash out and then we kind of have a bad relationship from then on, right? It's a little more random, a little less emotional. Jesus is saying like family members are going to do this, brothers and mothers, and that's a really tough kind of persecution. Persecution's hard enough, but when it's coming from people that like you thought were close or that you thought loved you, it gets a lot harder, right? That's the hardest kind of persecution, in my opinion, that you'd have to endure from loved ones, right? Well, Jesus wouldn't expect me to like be able to make it through that, right? Like, that's too tough. Well, Jesus says the one who endures that kind of persecution, and really any kind of persecution, but he uses that really hard example, that's the person that is saved. If you look again at this second verse here in verse 22, Matthew chapter 10, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Sometimes the end is like... uh, we might think of it as like this bout of persecution, right? Like if I just make it through this hard moment, God will save me. I think there's some truth to that. Um, I think we have to make it through a lot of those ends, right? I think what Jesus is really looking at is like the end. The way that Jesus endured to the end, right? He's on the cross and he's dying and he never gave up faith. He never quit his purpose, right? I think that's the end that we're talking about. Robin read Revelation 2, verses 9 through 11. It says something that's almost exactly the same, right? In writing to that church, uh, God says that they were to receive a crown of life after they've endured persecution from the synagogue of Satan, whatever that meant, right? God expects us to deal with persecutions to, yes, their various ends, right? whatever bouts or times we go through of persecution, but really to our end. We have to endure through our life to the end. So Jesus teaches that Christians will be persecuted, that persecutions can indeed remind us of good things, and that we don't just suffer persecution, but that we endure them, as George Mueller said, right? He said, I have learned my faith by standing firm amid severe testings. And that is true because Jesus said that. All right, so 
those are kind of three truths about persecution, that it will happen, that it can be a good reminder of various things that we have, and that we need to stick through it, right? There's a lot more points I think you could pull out about persecution, even just from Jesus, um, not including Paul or Peter or John's writings, right? But I wanted to kind of do something maybe a little out of the norm here and um, read some historical accounts of persecutions that occurred. Um, whether they are completely factual, verified by many historians, or whether they're oral tradition. And I accept that some of these probably are not exactly how this unfolded, but uh, there's too many stories like it to discount it entirely. So I just want to read a few of these. And so just bear with me as I read through some of these. And I don't do this to like gross anybody out or anything like that. But I do it to say, to maybe make this more real to us, that this really does happen. Um, so we're going to start way back when. We're going to start with James, uh, who was also referred to as the son of Zebedee, if you remember in some of the gospel accounts, uh, James the son of Zebedee. This is what a historian says according uh, to some traditions and things about James's martyrdom. The next martyr we meet with according to St. Luke in the history of the Apostle of Acts was James the son of Zebedee, the elder brother of John and a relative of our Lord. For his mother Salome was cousin to the Virgin Mary. It was not until 10 years after the death of Stephen that the second martyrdom took place. For no sooner had Herod Agrippa been appointed governor of Judea then with a view to ingratiate himself with them, he raised a sharp persecution against the Christians and determined to make an effectual blow by striking at their leaders. The account given us by an eminent primitive writer, Clemens Alexandrinus, ought not to be overlooked. That, as James was led to the place of martyrdom, his accuser was brought to repent of his conduct by the apostles' extraordinary courage and undauntedness, and fell down at his feet to request his pardon, professing himself a Christian, and resolving that James should not receive the crown of martyrdom alone. Hence they were both beheaded at the same time. Thus did the first apostolic martyr cheerfully and resolutely receive that cup, which he had told our Savior he was ready to drink. Matthew, also known as Levi, the tax collector, whose occupation was that of a toll gatherer, was born at Nazareth, he wrote his gospel in Hebrew, which was afterwards translated into Greek by James. The scene of his labors was Parthia and Ethiopia, in which the latter country he suffered martyrdom, being slain with a halberd in the city of Nadaba around the year 60. James the Less, supposed to be the brother of Jesus, is supposed, uh, this is very doubtful and accords too much with the Catholic superstition, blah, blah, blah. He was elected to the oversight of the churches of Jerusalem and was the author of the epistle ascribed to James. And at the age of 94, he was beat and stoned by the Jews and had his brains dashed out with a fuller's club. Matthias. Uh, not too much is known about Matthias, but it says he was elected to fill the vacant place of Judas. He was stoned in Jerusalem and then beheaded. Andrew the brother of Peter, preached the gospel to many Asiatic nations, but on his arrival at, Ed at Edessa, he was taken and crucified on a cross, the two ends of which were fixed transversely in the ground. Hence the derivation of the term St. Andrew's Cross. If you've ever seen that, it looks more like an X uh, because of traditionally how he was killed. St. Mark, 
was born of Jewish parents of the tribe of Levi. He's supposed to have been converted to Christianity by Peter, uh, whose, whom he served, and under whose inspection he wrote his gospel in the Greek language. Mark was dragged to pieces by the people of Alexandria at the great solemnity of Serapis, their idol, ending his life under their merciless hands. Peter, born in Bethsaida, uh, he is a fisherman. Christ gave him a name which in Syriac implies a rock. Peter is supposed to have suffered martyrdom at Rome during the reign of the emperor Nero, being crucified with his head downward at his own request. And some tradition says not to be crucified like Jesus. Paul. Uh, we are probably more familiar with how he died, but it reads, He afterwards visited churches in Greece and Rome after he's released preached in the gospel supposedly in Spain and France, but returned to Rome, and he was apprehended by Nero and beheaded. Jude, the brother of James, commonly referred to as Thaddeus, crucified at Edessa in 72. Bartholomew, as some suppose, maybe was Nathaniel, um, preached in several countries, translated the gospel of Matthew into the language of India. He propagated it in that country, he was at length cruelly beaten, then crucified by the impatient idolaters. Thomas preached the gospel in Parthia and in India, where, exciting the rage of the pagan priests, he was martyred by being thrust through with a spear. Luke, the evangelist and the author of the gospel, which goes under his name, he traveled with Paul and is supposed to have been hanged on an olive tree by the idolatrous priests of Greece. Uh, John, the beloved disciple, uh, ends up being banished to the Isle of Patmos where he wrote the book of Revelation. He was the only apostle who escaped a violent death. Uh, and Barnabas even was supposed to have been martyred, was killed around AD 73. Nobody knows exactly how. So <laughs> super depressing to just kind of like go through that and uh, read about the apostles and some evangelists and those around uh, Jesus' day. You know, people that would have seen or interacted with Jesus, and even if they didn't personally, they were with people who had. And they experienced exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. Right? No servant is greater than his master. And how many of these guys were crucified even? How many of these guys were beaten and beheaded and stoned? Um... I don't, I don't read this to just depress us. Um, I read this to say that, yeah, this stuff happens. It has happened. In fact, it was more common than not there for a while. Um, to be a Christian was to kind of accept that you were probably going to be hurt, right? Um, but we kind of have this impression that this isn't really happening today. At least I do, right? Because here we don't experience a lot of this. Um, and you could probably argue these numbers aren't exact, and I accept that. But I kind of uh, did a little research on this. Just looking at the world as a whole, there are 33 countries that Christianity in some form or another is restricted, right? Whether it by law, whether it by whatever, it's oppressed, whether materials are illegal to be printed, things like that, it's restricted on some level. 33 countries that that's occurring, 15 countries uh, where Christians are consistently persecuted, not by the government necessarily, but by friends and family 
and the government really can't do anything about it. Um, 15 countries like that, and that's, uh, to be qualified in that category, it has to reach a certain level of frequency. It can't just be like a blip on the radar. It has to be a consistent measure. And so there's 15 countries like that, and there's eight countries that are trending, I don't know how they, they qualify this, but are trending towards being hostile and are being monitored. Um, so uh, there's some countries like that as well. So all in all, you're looking at over 55 countries, which is about a quarter of uh, this Earth's country count, that in some way, shape, or form are not totally gentle or kind towards this idea of Protestant Christianity. Now, I use that term loosely, but I say that to say, like, this is still happening, and though we don't experience this in our own lives, and though Jesus' teaching seems so distant to us sometimes regarding persecution, it's still true. Jesus said it, and it wasn't just, you know, under the Romans that this is true. It's always going to be true. As long as God continues to let this earth be inhabited by people and as long as people are here this is going to happen um i was was debating bringing this up or not because i'm not sure how true this is but i'll share it in that light you guys heard about uh this shooting in oregon not too long ago right i think it was the first of october i think it was the day we left for our trip um i think it was nine people were killed and some like nine or something were injured Um, So almost 20 people. And allegedly, um, I don't know if this is totally true, he asked people if they were Christians or if they had any kind of belief in God before he shot them. And when he shot them, you know, he'd say, oh, that's great, you're going to get to meet God soon, and then he would shoot them, right? And I'm not saying that he specifically, it seems like he was shooting anybody, he was just asking the question, right? But it's as, like, shocking and as scary as that is, I don't think it's, like, totally shocking. It's crazy to think we've heard stories like that, right? Um, I think this has been debunked now, but Columbine, there was similar stories going around about that in like 99, whenever that happened, that they did something similar. I think that's been debunked. But these things happen, right? Just as Jesus said, people hated me for the things that I said and for the things that I taught and the way I lived my life for righteousness, even if it didn't actively affect anyone else, the fact that I was righteous, I was persecuted for that. And we're not greater than Jesus. This stuff still happens. The apostles and the evangelists of Jesus' day experienced this. And so, um, look at 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. History says this has happened. Jesus is right. Modern day says Jesus is right. And so look at what is written in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Well, it seems like a lot of people, right? Look at history, look at today. But look at what he continues to say. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, 
having a good conscience so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. One big point that I feel like sometimes doesn't have to be made, because it seems so obvious, but it should be made, is that we're going to suffer in life, right? Suffer for the right things, right? Don't suffer because you bring it on yourself, right? Don't suffer for being a dummy, as my mom would say. Suffer for doing the right things. Suffer for righteousness' sake. And he says, if you are, that's God's will. That's the implication, right? God willed that to happen for you, right? But look at what he says also in verse uh, 14. You have no fear in this, right? Can you imagine thinking that it was possible and or even probable that if you defend the faith in some sort of setting, that they're going to hurt you, right? I think that's kind of the context of this. Don't be scared for, about persecution or trouble, but as it says in verse 15, be prepared to make a defense respectfully and gently, even knowing that they may hurt you for this. We need to be ready to do that. Do you have that kind of faith that says, somebody may hurt me when I speak up, but because, in verse 14, I honor Christ as being holy. I'm willing to make that defense. Look at Romans 8. This is the last verses. Uh, these are the last verses that we'll look at. Romans 8. You know, it, when, we, when I read Romans 8, I get all excited. I'm like, yeah, there's no reason for me not to be faithful, right? I have nothing to be scared of, but then, like, I go back a few hours later, and maybe I read a news article, and I get going on my way, and I get scared again, right? Because people are scary. Things are scary. Stuff happens. Let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 35, so that this can encourage us in our faith. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Persecution's real. Persecution will happen, whether to you or to your brother or to your kids or to some brethren that you've never met but you hear about somewhere else. It happens. Jesus said it happens. Jesus experienced it. All of his apostles experienced it. Evangelists, after Jesus experienced it. And I want to end with this quotation. This is speaking of a man named uh, Ignatius. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. He's pretty famous in Catholic faith. It's Ignatius of Antioch. This is what it says about him. It is also said of him, Ignatius, that when he passed through Asia, being under the most strict custody of his keepers, he strengthened and confirmed the churches through all the cities as he went, both with his exhortations and preaching of the word of God. Accordingly, having come to Smyrna, he wrote to the church at Rome, exhorting them not to use means for his deliverance from martyrdom, 
lest they should deprive him of that which he most longed and hoped for. Now I begin to be a disciple. I care for nothing, of visible or invisible things, so that I may but win Christ. Let fire in the cross, let the companies of wild beasts, let the breaking of bones and tearing of limbs, let the grinding of the whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so, only may I win Christ Jesus. And even when he was sentenced to be thrown to the beasts, such as the burning desire that he had to suffer, that he spake, what time he heard the lions roaring, saying, I am the wheat of Christ. I am going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts, that I may be found pure bread. So, I end with this, and it gets me every time. <laughs> we have to make up our minds. Persecution did happen. It will happen. And are we developing the kind of faith that we accepted that? Thank you.